Hi. When we first started this podcast, my brother and I vowed from the beginning to never, ever talk about politics. It often poisons discourse, and it has the danger of closing ears to our core message, which is the gospel of grace, the cross of Christ, and worship of God in the beauty of holiness in the Anglican tradition. But in this show, I veered into some politics around COVID. If you disagree with some of what we said, I beg your patience. Stick with us. I promise that we will continue to stay true to our vision and our message for as long as we continue this podcast. And now, back to the show. Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on social media. Share us. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, pause your recording and give us a five-star rating and review us uh, in glowing fashion. Follow us on Twitter at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I am Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. I'm looking out the window. I'm looking out the window and it is pouring rain and you have no idea how <laughs> oh, you've got it now how sweet that is uh we as it's been a super dry summer for most of the country i think uh we know that minnesota's had fires uh the the pacific northwest has had uh insane dryness uh, leading to all sorts of uh, wildfires and and so we don't someone asked it you know due to the dryness if we have wildfires we don't have enough forest here right. in south or at least in eastern South Dakota, to to have wildfires, but our farmers need rain, and uh, so it's 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 a good thing to see. I I don't think it has rained yet in August, maybe once, but like <laughs> to say that oh maybe it rains twice a month is is uh, we need more than that. So that's great, Kirk. As you know, we also uh, our family grew this week. Yes, on Monday we picked up Ana Quintera. Uh, a teaching intern at our kids' school from Bogota, Colombia. And uh, she is delightful and wonderful. And we are very excited for this cultural exchange. Uh, I think, you know, she is equally excited to, to learn about America. And I mean, she is uh, she's just a wonderful soul. Uh, she is a recent graduate uh, in with a degree in uh, special education and uh this week we've been, we've been just bonding with her and kirk her her english isn't great so there kirk what was that game we played in ely this summer that 
kind of caveman poetry? Uh, yeah. What is it? Neanderthal. How did, um, yeah. I mean, the, the premise is that you, you look at a card, you see a word and you have to, you have to kind of, it's like, talk it's your like partner taboo. It. It's yes. like taboo, except, except one the syllable trick words. is only one syllable words, which is a fun game with your kids, Jordan. Cause like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say Jordan? Um, yes. Uh, Kirk, because uh, I was just picturing George grinning after yeah. like, you know, saying like multiple two syllable words, like thinking there were once it was, we had a blast playing that. And part of that was that, that you got to bop them in the head if they said right. a two syllable word, which uh, makes it fun. But there was a lot of caveman talk in the household uh, this week of, as we <laughs> slowed down our speech to make sure she understands us. So, um, so there's been a lot of that, which you would laugh a fly in the wall in our house would, would get a kick out of hearing us speak, but we've just realized this is the only way that she's going to understand us at least for now. Right. And, um, and one of the first things she said to me, because, uh, I spent maybe the first hour with her and she, she looked at me after talking to Meg a little bit and she's like, your wife talks very fast. And so I had to tell Meg, we have to slow it down a little bit. We knew that when we zoomed with her, but because there was, you know, the barrier of a screen, but even in person, we have to really slow down. So like me, um, you, you seem to notice and be fascinated by um, how uh, language not only um, trains and develops your tongue, but trains and develops your ear. Um, and so you, um, certain languages, uh, uh, make distinctions between vowel sounds and other languages mm -hmm. don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, you had noticed that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that for her, um, the, the no, words no, not, not, not for her, not for her, Oh, for, uh, for, for, for people who have been here for years. So we yes. introduced her to some teachers from Spain who are good friends of right. ours. Okay. And they were the ones that were, we were just in the midst of the middle of a conversation. He was asking us, how do you say the word? Uh, he was asking how to say bomber as in like, <laughs> a plane that drops bombs. Yeah, he's a B-42 bomber, yeah. And then he asked the difference between, like, uh, that sounds a lot like bummer to me. Can you explain <laughs> the difference? And he had me like say, uh, bummer, <laughs> ah, bomber. And he's like, I can't hear it. Don't Those hear it. sound the exact <laughs> same to me. Which, yeah. I, I, like, now I understand their accent from Spain. Like, um, earlier in the night, Ava had, had talked about, like, her host family, because she was an intern at one point. And, she was like, they took me to church, you know, like, so yeah, if, if there's only one you sound, it's not church, it's right. church. <laughs> That's great. So, That's yeah. so great. Uh, it, w you and I can't have any interaction with uh, foreign language speakers without immediately smiling and recalling um, our poor father, who is uh, <laughs> uh, like kind and um, honest and well-intentioned uh, strategy for communicating with foreign language speakers, uh, English as second language speakers, is to yell at them <laughs> and gesture. <laughs> yes. So did you find yourself doing a bit of that? I think that's like I, most Americans. Like I've, most Americans just kind of slow down, start gesturing, like big hand gestures right. and yell at them. Yeah. Yeah, maybe louder will help communicate this. Maybe I can act it out. Kirk, I felt exactly like dad. Like, maybe I didn't look like him, but that's what I felt like. 
Because, yeah. yeah, there's a particular moment where uh, the, our family re- is referencing in our own lore a very strange night in Germany, which we should probably talk about on the podcast at some point. But uh, for some reason, Dad decided to talk to these, Kirk, were they Lebanese? Somewhere oh, from were the they? Middle East. Somewhere okay, from the I, Middle my, East. My memory has scrubbed that particular detail. Well, okay. So, but, we're, but we're, their legal status was ambiguous, and is that that's right. why they were kind yeah. of under the radar? Yeah, yeah. So we spent not- the night essentially <laughs> squatting, yeah. like with, in an abandoned with other with building. other squatters. <laughs> yes, and and Dad, I don't know why he felt the need to converse with them. Very little English, and so, so Dad, I'm, just- I'm 18, you're 15, and our 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 hosts are. Um, Sort of taking us in very various rooms in these in this abandoned apartment building and proposing to us like, would you like to stay with this person, or maybe you'd like to stay with this other person? And we ended up um, choosing like uh, kind of an abandoned apartment on another floor above, correct? But even there, I think our, our dad encountered someone and and decided to carry on in this like loud, highly gestured conversation. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yep. But I interrupted exactly. you because I, I, I was disputing a, a, an unimportant detail. That is, that, that whether they were Lebanese or not. <laughs> that, is that an important detail? They were somewhere in the Middle East. Okay. But, okay. But, but that's the lore that we refer to of, like, for some reason, like, we were trying, like, we should have been in bed. Right. But maybe dad felt like, you would, like, introduce yourself to, to the squatters next door. Because <laughs> we right. like like <laughs> huddling down for a, a, a poor night's sleep on the floor of of an abandoned uh, building, and I've never which, thought this yeah. through. Um, like I can conceive of this happening in the Netherlands because like this is a this is a, a problem in the Netherlands, but like the German bureaucracy is just really good at like processing people. I'm just like surprised that a building like that existed, um, and I don't I don't know. Yeah, we should talk through that 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 more. Um, I should, like an archaeologist, yeah. like carefully um, sift and scrub those memories and and try to tease more out of there. Because I think, like, if we told the full story that night, it would be really entertaining, <laughs> quality, high quality programming for sure. But yeah. but yeah, we it's it has been so long ago. It was in 1998 uh, that we would have to work <laughs> hard to just scrub away the additions that have come over the years and maybe help each other remember things that we've forgotten. So, yeah. so anyway, Kirk, uh, what's going on in the Shire? Uh, we had uh, a, a, an orientation for my fifth grade son today at the school. Um, that was great. Uh, we got haircuts for the boys this afternoon. Um, yesterday, uh, our, our, our high school's marching band had their first, uh, they, they marched at Kennywood for you non-Pittsburghers. That's the local amusement park. Um, which is like just very Pittsburghy in ways that only make sense if you've ever kind of spent time in Pittsburgh. Like a couple of the uh, what the new, I, I would say like Cedar Point quality roller coaster is called the Steel Curtain, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the cars that you get into they look like a Pittsburgh Steelers helmet. But uh, one of the the Phantoms Revenge, uh, Christopher, you probably remember that one. That was uh, that was probably the best coaster when when you were there. Um, it's so Pittsburgh, you go up and as you're climbing the crest, you see across like a river and you see a steel mill, <laughs> like chugging out steam. And like, it's, it's not, the steel mill hasn't had any technological updates since at least probably 1935. Like it looks like an old Bessemer steel mill, 
like you're looking at like i'm trying to think what towns you'd be looking at like uh, rankin or whatever swiss vale like it's just like very pittsburghy so so uh so it's got that but kenny wood has tons of charm it has oh, super it charming. is a fantastic uh, i mean so it doesn't have the biggest or the fastest coasters but that one that you mentioned the phantom one is very good yeah yeah, yeah. i just love the old uh the exterminator ones the racers the, the jack the racers <laughs> yeah. oh they're fantastic <laughs> yeah love absolutely and 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 it just has a charm that say um what's the one in ohio uh cedar point mm-hmm. that cedar point doesn't have cedar point's <laughs> kind of concrete and modern and it's got like all like technically all the great ones, all the fast ones. And, uh, but, but Kenny Wood's got tons of charm. Yes. But yes. now I interrupted you. You're tell- talking about. Yeah. Cedar point, Cedar yeah. point is like, um, like a, like a 2021 Lamborghini and Kenny Wood's like a 1956 Ford Thunderbird. <laughs> like it's, it's charming and you don't love it because it's going to pin you back in your seat like some of the Cedar Point ones. But this steel curtain was good. It was good. So so that was good. I chaperoned the band. That's the stage of my life now. I'm a, I'm a band dad officially. So so that was great. So we're we're just kind of school is right around the corner. And that's that's kind of that's kind of where we are. And that's yeah. um that is a that is a hard thing for me to hear as a as mm. a teacher because um you know I had I had some months off here but uh, sometimes in life we there are hard words for us to process. And, and um, what do you do about that? Do you, do you ignore the hard words? I, I think sometimes when there's hard information and hard truths, you, 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 you just have to uh, really lean into it and embrace it. There's no um, other choice. N- no other choice. Much like, um, well, St. Peter and the Apostles. Today's gospel reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, this is the 77th straight week 
that we are in John <laughs> chapter six, or so it seems. So, some of you will be relieved to know that next week we will, in fact, return to the Gospel of Mark. Fear not. Uh, but this week we remain in John six, and we get Jesus concluding remarks. So, I joke about this because this is a long passage that Jesus has about about uh, I. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, um, and that, uh, and, and he draws this comparison to uh, man in the wilderness, and, and, and he describes the incarnation, manna came down from heaven, bread came down from heaven, I am the bread that came down from heaven, indicating, you know, that he is in fact divine, that, that, that when he was born, he was just not born as an ordinary man, but was in fact divine. Uh, and this is something, Kirk, that, that you and I, have, we've referenced this, this passage many times so sorry mm -hmm. listener if, if today if this is repetitive uh <laughs> but there are many reasons that we have referenced this one is to point out that jesus in fact had many people following him and that there is a differentiation here between disciples and the 12 and so here it's not uh i mean many times when it says the disciples it is referring to the 12 especially in other uh, gospels but in this particular uh reading when it says the disciples it is referring to any number of people who are following him uh and it, it is not a technical term it is just referring to someone who has been following jesus and they may have been following him for some very bad reasons as jesus points out earlier that some people are following him because they want their bellies to be full again right so um it's interesting what jesus does here at the beginning of this passage that that the disciples and we don't know here if 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 this includes some of the 12 you know what i mean kirk right because when many of his disciples heard it it could be some of the 12 being like oh this is hard but then it is the 12 who are have who stick it out and remain with him despite it being hard so uh, peter is not saying <laughs> at all that none of it, that this is not difficult but he's saying like we're sticking with you because there's no else to go uh, so it's interesting, uh, whoever it is that, that is, is really acknowledging this is a hard saying, Jesus doesn't respond by softening his teaching. Um, and although he loves people, he's not a people pleaser. Uh, and so he loves sinners and has compassion on sinners. And, and that's what we think of. And, and I think the world, uh, the non-believing world, um, looks at Jesus as just this you know, pure love and compassion, which he is. But um, any person that he showed, any sinner that he showed compassion on, Kirk, what did he say to that person after showing them compassion? Forgive me. I muted myself. I'm, ah, I had a FaceTime call from someone else. What did he say? Yeah, well, what was tell, his response? Tell me what he said. He would always say, go and sin no more, right? Yes. Yeah, like he, he wouldn't just like soften, you know, the teaching and, and just be like, well, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Like this whole thing about like God becoming a man. It's a hard thing. You don't really have to buy it. You know, <laughs> Jesus kind of uh, looks for uh, people to uh, rely on him, to have faith in him. Jesus is Lord <laughs> and uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And um what he's looking for is for that. And so what's interesting is we don't know which part of the teaching they're, they're really objecting to, you know, was it the part where it's simply eating the, the flesh and blood of a person sounds just horrifying. Is it that um, Jesus uh, 
in this Eucharistic teaching is, is that what's hard of, of like saying, well, there's going to be this, this continual thing where you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Is it that, that when he says basically that he is divine, that he came down from heaven, we're not sure. I'm guessing all of it. <laughs> I'm guessing yeah. these followers yeah. in, yeah, I, I'm guessing they enjoyed having their bellies filled with food. And in fact, they wanted to manipulate I think this miracle man into providing more food. Remember they said two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever it was, what sign can you give us? You know, like he just gave you a sign. <laughs> He's explaining the sign. Um, but, but Jesus claiming to be divine and like th this teaching is offensive. Uh, and Jesus essentially laughs at their complaint in verse 62. He says, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the end of 61 going into 62 he says do you take offense at this then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before basically saying if this is a stumbling block for you you haven't seen anything yet uh you're like the the, the worst is yet to come i guess as far as like difficult things to believe you're going to see the son of man ascending to where he was before. So this could refer to his ascension. This could also refer to the kind of the whole act Kirk of, of crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. Yeah. Remember and that, that, you know, when Jesus refers to his, his glorification, he's referring to his death because like, and also like when we say ascending, like we talk about him being lifted up on the cross. Right. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. seems right to me. Yeah. So, I, I guess uh, just a few concluding thoughts here. It, it is no surprise that people tried to co-opt Jesus, that they tried to uh, I'm not sure the, the verb I'm looking for, but like I massage him into their own kind of teaching. Uh, it's a lot harder to do though, when he's alive and he can like oppose you <laughs> like, um, when they're like, well, we think Jesus is this. And he's like, uh, -uh that's not what I'm saying. Um, but like this, I, this as Christians, when we see people misinterpret Jesus, we may think of this as a new thing, but in fact, it's as old as the new Testament itself. And this is not just a challenge to those who are unbelievers. This is a challenge to believers who try to get Jesus, uh, to affirm their agenda. And I, and I think of Abraham Lincoln and his words uh, about God during the Civil War. He says something to the effect of, um, the question is not whether God is on our side. We should be asking, you know, um, are we on God's side? Like, mm. as we live our life, right. we should seek to be on God's side rather than, than like, uh, indicating, like, oh, like, God, of course God is on our side because, like, right. we the right things. Oh, and, and what an impossible task that is, right? I think I think we always assume, right, yeah. that we're on the side of truth and light and justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think the challenge is to constantly um, read scripture and and hear convicting words, Kirk. <laughs> yeah, because like it is a temptation to um, to bend Jesus to what we want him to be. And uh, I mean, Tim Keller said it really well in, in, in a quote, and this is a quote, not from a book, but from Twitter. I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, man, this, this is really good. There's a time when he was tweeting some really, really good stuff, which is hard to do back in the, in the days when there was, there were only like 140 characters, but he fit, he, this was his tweet. He said, if God is real and in 140 characters, you know, Tim Keller thinks God is real. <laughs> if God is real, 
why does he align perfectly with our views? We should expect God to challenge us on what we think is right somewhere. Right, Kirk? <laughs> yeah. We should assume like God just aligns perfectly with what we think. That's why it's important to read the Gospels and to, and to, uh, and to read the Bible and to read with, with an eye um, aware that, that like, are we in line with, with what the scripture is teaching rather than saying, let's bend interpretation to fit kind of what we already think. And I think that that is um, the big takeaway for each of us today as we look at this gospel that, um, you know, when Peter says, where are we going to go? as hard, like whatever teaching is hard for us, we like Jesus is the, is the Lord of life. And so like, we have to change our views. We have to change our life. We have to change everything to fit Jesus. And um, so, so, so some of that is, is just like how we read scripture. And some of it is when we actually, like, I think Peter is ahead of most of us where he realizes that he is not aligned with Jesus. Right. And he's like, okay, this is hard, but there's nowhere else for me to go. Jesus is the Lord of life. He is, he is the word of God. I need to align myself with him where uh, the task for you and me, listener, um, uh, you and me is, is to read scripture and to make sure um, that, that um, we are seeing the places where we are not aligning with um, the teaching of the Bible. Amen. Yeah. So Christopher, I have... Ben, as a church musician, working really hard to prepare music for Advent and Christmas, because our choir is going to do something new and exciting and challenging um, this December. Um, they are going to be singing, we are going to be singing um, at another, another church, singing not only our lessons and carol service um, for our own parish um, and Advent for. Um, but we are going to be doing it at another church the day before. And so that is very exciting, but yet um, it means that uh, I have to plan in advance with other parishes. There are added levels of complexity. And what that means is that I have spent the last two weeks um, in August um, up to my elbows in Christmas music, in Christmas texts, and aligning texts to uh, to carols and hymns and stuff. And uh, I... I here's my takeaway. Christmas is weird. <laughs> the incarnation is weird. And as you, uh, as we have, have read this gospel and as we were preparing for this gospel, it struck me um, when uh, the disciples said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? I think um, the hardness, the difficulty, the weirdness of Christianity, um, particularly Christmas, the incarnation, right? A virgin birth. Mm -hmm. That's weird right? Uh, um, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, um, uh, coming upon the Virgin Mary and uh, the, that, um, that God himself would take on flesh, right? That you, that you have- It's, um, it's positively offensive. Yes, yes, right? All of it is very strange and very weird. And I think we've become acculturated to it because um, the smell of pine and cinnamon and, and soft carols playing in the background and um, someone wrapping presents off to the side and, um, and sipping pumpkin spice lattes. And all of it kind of helps to maybe soften or blunt the, just the pure strangeness of it. Um, 
but um, Christianity is uh, has has a uh, a complex and and a counterintuitive and as you said an offensive message, right? And I think maybe we get inured to that a little bit, particularly when when uh, certain uh, aspects of those messages, right? Like for us. Uh, the incarnation at Christmas, and then the resurrection at Easter, those are so emotionally entwined with happy memories and scents and smells and sights um, that evoke happy times for us that, uh, that maybe kind of help that medicine go down. I'm thinking about, think about Easter, right? Like we're dying eggs and we go on Easter egg hunts and we get together with family and we're preparing like ham and all kinds of fun stuff. And we're talking about a man rising from the dead. <laughs> That's weird, right? And uh, the, the first disciples knew that was weird. And so it's helpful. It's helpful. This passage is also helpful to remind us that Christianity is a, is a faith uh, with hard sayings. And um, if it stopped being weird to you, that's okay. That's a sign of faith, I think, right? <laughs> like that we've, uh, that we, we no longer find that abrasive or we no longer blanch when we hear those things. I went through a period of unbelief and I, I can remember being able to see anew uh, the oddness <laughs> of that, um, that there was, it was strange and it was weird. And so, um, if I would say, if if we've stopped seeing that it's weird, that's a, that's a gift. And yeah, that's Kirk. Good. I mean, last week I talked about um, Mary's response of faith. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a tickle yes. in my throat. Um, Mary's response of faith, and, and I think that's what you're describing. Um, yeah. is, is that is that gift? And in fact, Jesus says that here, mm-hmm. right? And, th- and he says like that no one is able to come to the Father. To come, like, unless the father, you know, first, ah, I'm butchering it. Unless the father calls them. What, what does he say? He says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted yeah. him by the father. And I think if we were a reformed podcast, we would focus on that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, but like, I, you know, it's just a different that we speak with a different accent, right. That like, we acknowledge that. Yeah. Like, but, but, uh, it, that is the gift of, of faith. Like we, right. we acknowledge that right. faith, in fact, is a gift, and and that like mysteriously, um, some of us respond in faith, and, and others don't to the same message, right? right. And, and uh, you know, we we come across that in the parable of the seeds, right? Like it's just kind of a mystery why why some seeds take root and um, they flower, right? That that the message flowers into faith. Um, so this gospel is just a. It's, this week, as I've been going through Christmas music and then looking at this gospel in anticipation of Sunday, it's been a helpful reminder um, of just the, the, the lovely strangeness and shocking uniqueness of the Christian message. Um, this is not to slander other religions um, like uh, Islam or Confucianism, um, but I would say like Islam and Confucianism, just to pick two at random, are, are almost commonsensical, right? Like there is justice in the universe. Being good means conforming yourself to that to to a, a vision of justice and peace and kindness. Be good, conform to that thing, right? Wouldn't you say that's kind of most world religions? Mm-hmm. And we have hard sayings like, "Actually, justice, capital J, became a person, <laughs> lived yeah. for you, died for you, rose for you. Believe on that, <laughs> cleave to that. You know what? Eat that." <laughs> and that is yeah. eternal life right so yeah 
those are my thoughts, sir. Yeah. We have a, speaking of hard sayings, we have, we have a, we have a spicy, um, thorny topic to talk about in our culture segment segment. Um, shall we move on to that? Let's. All right, for our culture segment today, uh, we, we are gonna talk about Christians and COVID. You can call this the 2021 back to school edition um, because Christopher, you and I both have children and um, this is kind of, uh, for people who have children, this is a very relevant thing. I would say, let's evaluate where we are. Um, so March 13th, 2020, essentially, Wait, that's what, and now 16 months ago? Uh, yeah. Um, essentially, all the U.S. shut down in order to try to prevent overwhelming the hospital system and ICU beds. Um, we kind of limped through the summer, summer and with a variety of mitigation strategies. In November and December of 2020, we saw a significant spike where at, at various points um, in December and January, um, we had a rolling average, seven-day average of 3,000 Americans dying daily. By the spring of 2021, all three vaccines, Johnson & Johnson, uh, and then the two uh, mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, had become widely available. Um, uh, today, over 60% of all Americans have had at least one dose, and over 70% of Americans 12 and over have had at least one dose. Currently, the vaccine is not authorized for Americans under 12. Um, the Delta variant, however, uh, which uh, started in India and has since kind of rippled through human populations everywhere, is rippling through our unvaccinated population and our current seven-day rolling average for daily deaths, hmm. New York Times today is 911. Isn't that heartbreaking? Yes. We're back to almost a thousand deaths a day over the last week. Wow. Partisanship has skewed almost all our perceptions. Um, disintegrated media culture has made it difficult for people to find reliable data or trustworthy sources. Christopher, you and I have talked about this. You, uh, you shared with me a conversation you had with someone who just kind of asked you an honest question, like, I, where, do, where do I even get data? Um, clickbait headlines intentionally increase anxiety and hide encouraging data or bury it in the last paragraph or as I frustratingly find oftentimes in literally the last line. Examples of this um, include um, the death and hospitalization rates for breakthrough infections. So Christopher, for all the uh, anxiety inducing uh, headlines that hmm. you've read in the last right, month about right. breakthrough infections, they so breakthrough everyone... infections are infections 
COVID infections of those who have been vaccinated. That's right. Yeah. You get and to so, the last- so much has been, much has been made <laughs> that that well, why are we getting vaccinated if you can still get COVID? Well, Kirk, <laughs> what's like what about it? Those people who are getting COVID, yes, though they are vaccinated, what about it? Every single article I read, I have to scroll to the bottom to find actual data. And what you find is <laughs> um, that breakthrough vaccinate. Uh, I'm sorry, breakthrough infections among the vaccinated. Um, account for less than one half of a percent of all COVID deaths and less than 1% of all COVID hospitalizations um, for those under 70 and uh, less than 3% of all COVID hospitalizations, period. Uh, meaning statistically insignificant, right? So- and, and, and meaning <laughs> that the vaccine literally saves lives, that though there are breakthrough infections, what you are getting with the vaccine is is... Uh, you may get sick, but you will not die. Right. So that's what I mean when I say it, when I call those headlines clickbait and intentionally mm-hmm. increasing anxiety. These are reliable, uh, should be reliable news organizations, mm-hmm. uh, major news organizations that, that I think are, 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 have, have, been, have written shameful articles about breakthrough infections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, death and hospitalizations in children due to the Delta, Delta variant. <clears throat> I have found um, those clickbait headlines uh, intensely frustrating and misleading. And I have to, again, go to the last paragraph or sometimes literally the last line to get the actual data. So Christopher, I had to look this up myself, having felt my chest tighten over stories uh, that I've encountered over the last several weeks regarding Delta variant and children. Um, There is something in the air, Christopher, um, that is telling parents to be concerned about the Delta variant with children. Um, So I had to find, had to look up how many children are currently hospitalized for coronavirus in the United States. And um, it is the the last, uh, this was, this was three days ago, but I found a Reuters article that had a headline of 1900 children. We have 75 million Americans 18 and under. If you divide 1900 by 75 million, um, depending upon the calculator you're using, your calculator may not be able to show you how small that decimal is. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and yet these headlines are everywhere and they, they create a, uh, um, a climate of panic and anxiety. Um, another point, another point. A lot of Christians think it is a Christian imperative to fight vaccines. Um, many Christians, many of our brethren, Christopher, see it in terms of almost, almost in terms of martyrdom, biblical, apocalyptic stuff, mm-hmm. right? That there's, there's a shadowy, menacing, diabolical, satanic, um, like, like, a, like, a, like a network that has planned this as um, kind of the opening operation of a, kind of a war against believers, or, or maybe like um, put uh, a way to track people. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not like the scene in a beautiful mind. Um, I'm not <laughs> able to connect those right. dots. You remember, you right. remember like in his shed <clears throat> when yeah. he's gone off his meds and, um, like he's just, I mean, it's just what a paranoid schizophrenic does, right? Like he's got yeah. like all, all those, those, those bullet points that are like, uh, connected all on, on that wall. Right. In the shed. Right. And, so, and so, so maybe I can say a word about this where, uh, in, in Texas, you know, they are, maybe it wasn't in Texas, but somebody suggested that they would go door to door offering a life-saving vaccine for free. And the response of some Texans 
uh, was as if they were coming door to door to oppress them, right? Um, mm-hmm. Rather than just like voluntarily saying, if if whatever is going on in your life is so busy that that you have been or or like your work schedule or maybe you just don't have transportation, here's a free vaccine, a free life saving um, medical treatment. We would like to offer it to you. People felt like that was a threat, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So other Christians, which, which those dots don't connect for me. So yeah. Yes. Other Christians think it's vital to close churches to protect mm. others. Mm. I'm oddly seeing open churches as malevolent mm. as forces of evil. Right. Of course, we believe that open churches are vital to word and sacrament. Christopher, mm-hmm. you have been called by the Holy Spirit to minister to the dying, the suffering, the mm-hmm. widow, the afflicted. Mm-hmm. We are embodied beings who must physically gather. We must actually feed on the body of Christ to be spiritually fed. Mm -hmm. We must actually see a pastor to be consoled when anxious or grieving and to actually be prayed over. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, churches are, in fact, essential. As we deem certain things (laughs) essential and others non-essential, churches are always among the essential things. Yes. So Christians are being pulled in a bunch of different directions. And um, so I'm just, I'm Christopher, I'm, I'm shotgun style, throwing a bunch of bunch of kind of bullet points out there. And I shared these bullet points with you and you can kind of go with them uh, in, in, in several different directions. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of once, I'll, I'll get to my final bullet point that you see there later, but, but go ahead, respond, sir. Oh yeah. Oh, thanks um, for, for giving me. <laughs> I wasn't ready for you to, to, to cast it over to me, uh, but I will, I will do my best. Um, you're telling yeah. me you're not prepared to opine? <laughs> well, well, I, before the, the episode, before we taped, I was just like, yeah, like I love your outline, but, but uh, my brain kind of went a different way and yeah. I would love to, to do share. kind of offer that. So yeah, uh, just as far as just a, um, a Christian response as Christians, we, we call ourselves pro-life, right? Yes. Uh, and, and one thing that I have come to appreciate as I have tried to, to be open to what scripture says, rather than to what, um, culture tells me what the Republican party tells me, uh, what, what pro-life Inc tells me, uh, what I've come to appreciate over the years is that being pro-life isn't simply opposing abortion, uh, pro-life is uh, being uh, pro-life womb to tomb. Uh, it must and be true because it rhymes. It, it's got to be true. Uh, and what this means is is not just opposing abortion, but advocating policy, living a life that uh, makes it so women who feel like abortion is their only choice uh, changing that perception um, so that abortion uh, doesn't seem like a necessity that, that uh, in fact, research has shown that many women um, pursue abortions because of, of material needs, not because they're evil, not because they're ignorant, but it's, it's that they don't feel the ability to care for that child. And so if we have a, as a society, as, as if we as the church were to provide for, for mothers in a way that made it seem doable financially in in all the ways uh we need to promote that society kirk 
That's what being pro-life is. And being pro-life also means literally uh, advocating policies that save lives, right? And I was looking, and I was thinking today um, uh, how uh, Christians, not just Republicans, but how Christians have minimized and diminished the, the hundreds of thousands of COVID deaths, you know, by saying, oh, well, it's only like, you know, one or 2% of, of people who get COVID actually die as if that's somehow okay. Right <laughs> here. I thought we were pro-life <laughs> um, that, that like death is always bad. Well, and particularly for, for Christians, um, uh, m- most of the deaths, a disproportionate number of the deaths are the elderly, the vulnerable, the sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we use this antiseptic term, right? Comorbidities, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those who are, 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 are vulnerable health-wise, right? These are people who Christians have always had particular love and care for, right? Yeah. We yeah. invented the hospital. Why? Yeah. Because we love the sick. Yeah. We invented the nursing home. Why? Because we love the aged. Why? Because God loves them particularly, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So COVID and targets those whom Christians have particularly always cared for. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard Christians say, well, like, I don't understand all the hand wringing about COVID deaths because, you know, as Christians, we believe in the afterlife that like those who die will be raised. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sure, that's true that the dead will be raised. Um, <laughs> uh, and they're like, well, aren't there worse things than death? Of course, like separation from God is worse than a physical death. But like death is never okay. It is always a curse. It was always something yeah. that was never meant to be. We don't think that we're going to keep people alive forever. Well, remember um, Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't console others saying like, stop, stop. Like in the right. long run, you'll see him again. Chill out. He no. weeps because he, he recognizes that it is a, a satanic affront to God's mm-hmm. created order. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the fact that, that uh, 626,000 Americans, and I only focus on America because that's an easier number to swallow, to, to like kind of wrap our heads around, right? Like if we talk about like global deaths, either daily well, and or- it's- and, and we have our particular vaccine right. situation and our yeah. particular demographics and population density and all that stuff. And like, honestly, I don't, I don't know how to talk about it or think through it from right. a British perspective right. or an Indian perspective or a Chinese or a perspective Col- or, or a Colombian perspective. Right. Like right. Yeah, uh, yeah. the, one of the first things that Anna did upon arrival in this country is, is walk into uh, one. We have a, a, an intersection uh, a mile from our house <laughs> that on three of the corners, each of them have pharmacies. So any one of those three pharmacies uh, uh, on the corner of, of this intersection ha- had walk-in appointments, right. not walk-in appointments, just like you can walk in and get a vaccine. Right. Amazing. Yep. Amazing that we can't give these things away in our yeah. country where in other countries, people are, are, lit- are literally dying uh, yeah. to get them. They're, they're dying waiting for, for the vaccine. So, uh, so, so it's amazing how available it is, and um, and yet uh, we continue to see um, uh, th- these breakthrough. Not, I'm sorry, we continue to see COVID infections uh, kill people, even as um, 
the, the vaccine has uh, failed, I'm, so, I'm sorry, even as the vaccine has been successful in, in uh, essentially wipe, wiping away the, the threat of death. Right. So can like, we, can we before, talk about these 600,000? Yeah, yeah. I interrupted you. I'll talk no, no, about that no. when you're done. No, let's talk about it. Well, I wanted to talk about uh, how um, it has entered into uh, kind of the, the American Christian consciousness that um, the vaccines are a malevolent creation. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and I think a lot of this has to do with our fragmented news environment, the collapse yeah. of the monoculture, right? Like the idea, you and I grew up at the very end of something where we watched our parents turn on the evening news at night. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I, and, I, and we I all didn't... watched Peter Jennings yeah. or... Dan yeah. Rather or, you know, whomever it may have been. And, that, and for I, some reason, Peter Jennings is in my mind. We must have right. been on ABC House. Yep, yep. And we didn't even get NBC, like, in, in the prairie in Minnesota, right? Who so, is Tom Brokaw? Yeah, yeah. Who's 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 that guy, right? Um, and even though I began to understand uh, in my teenage years that these people had a political bias, mm-hmm. um, there, there was a sense of, like, okay, I understand that there's a bias there, but the news is the news, right? And I still read... The New York Times that way, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the news, and and I can tell when a headline is grinding a political axe mm-hmm. that the news is still the news. Or mm-hmm. if they bury the data to the end of the article, that's super frustrating to me, but it's still data, right? Um, but there's a collapse in that where like people will share videos via Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. or or YouTube. And uh, so th- there's one that's gone around in the last 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And, I think I know which one you're talking about. And um, uh, no one can find out who this guy is, where his PhD is from. Um, wh- like it says it's from Oxford. What college? Maudlin? Kings? Jesus College? Corpus Christi? Like no, <laughs> no, um, no one knows what his PhD is in. And he rattles off a bunch of stuff, Right. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and I, I was actually thinking of a different one, but okay. yeah, like, like I have seen a rash of, of just videos of like one person with credentials that we're just supposed to take for granted, yeah. but a guy who has access to a camera recording himself in his skepticism about this vaccine or just vaccines in general. Um, and, and somehow this is supposed to be like, uh, you know, well, let's listen to both sides, you know, where we have, right thousands of doctors, every single hospital, the entire establishment versus a guy with a camera who may or may not have dubious um, uh, uh, credentials. So here's what I want to say about doctors opining. Doctors, doctors are great at whatever they've been trained to do, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whether it's um, performing a hernia operation or open heart surgery or brain surgery or treating children for various maladies or identifying a rash, um, they had a particular training and they have a, a whole body of experiences over the course of decades um, that has made them wise and able in their particular thing. However, when you're a hammer, everything looks like hmm. a nail. All right. So if you're a meta, if you're a doctor, you're like, wait a minute, I know how to get us down to zero COVID deaths, right? We, we could do this. Uh, uh, New Zealand population of 5 million, they just shut down because there is one case of the Delta variant there this week, right? If you're a doctor, there are ways of completely crushing COVID, right? So, or (laughs) on the other hand, if you're a doctor who's a, you know, a brain expert or whatever, um, you can develop 
totally nutty <laughs> um, <laughs> theories about COVID because it is not, you are not an epidemiologist or you don't deal with airborne viruses. <laughs> you do, it's just not your, um, your metier. And so we have doctors and they, they, they put the DR in front of their name. And then we've got hundreds of videos and people mm-hmm. don't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. Right. And then people have lost the ability to find um, the good, reliable data. I opine to you, Christopher, before we hit record, um, I, I have, there was a reliable COVID dashboard that I went to and that has mm. gone away and I'm mm. still like hunting. I don't know what, like if you, if some, someone knows a good one, I don't know, Johns Hopkins, New York times, whatever, where I can find reliable data. That's kind of on one page and I can find it like rolling three day averages, rolling seven day averages, demographically broken down all this stuff. I want it. Like it's hard for Americans to find this data. And then you see these videos and you don't know what to make of it. Mm. And you're busy trying to make money and feed your kids and pay the mortgage and blah, blah, blah. And um, heads end up spinning. And Mm -hmm. I I think um, people end up being susceptible to panic, to unreliable voices. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of starting to rant. So yeah. uh, Talk me off the cliff, Christopher. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, and well, I mean, the reality is that like, we never want anecdotal evidence to be what we always go to, right? That like, um, we need to be able to look at the big picture, but also be able to see anecdotal evidence. And unfortunately, both the big picture of, of, um, of ICUs being filled up right now, um, you know, many ICUs are overflowing and they're transferring outside of state lines. To, Which uh, that, that too is panic inducing. Right. Because- how right. many beds does your local hospital have in their ICU? Uh, not that many. You not know, that right? many, right? So right, you could say right. your ICU is full and that makes you like anxiety rise in your chest. And then you find out like there are right. six beds in your local ICU. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember the beginning <laughs> of this, like hearing like even the whole state of Minnesota has like, I don't know, like 300 <laughs> like ICU beds, like totally right. something like that. Like what? That's it. You know, um, as, as like people, many people early on were on ventilators and like require an ICU bed. Um, now, now, like, obviously they, they can kind of make, have makeshift ICU beds, you know, elsewhere. So, so like, that too creates a fog of panic and confusion, yeah. right? But, but yeah, but, but, but what I wanted to say is, is that like right now we want to look at both and like both the, like the, the big picture of like the, the COVID infections, COVID deaths and full hospitals is heartbreaking. But then also the, um, the anecdotal evidence is heartbreaking of, of, of like mothers of four who, um, have been essentially talked out of being vaccinated right. by their church because they are like, Jesus is my vaccine, you know, um, as if, you know, Jesus is also their seatbelt. Like there's so many, you know, their seatbelt, you know, like there's so right. many precautions in life that we take because they're God given. Like we believe that like all like good things are given to us by God, like who invented the vaccine, a person or God. Well, like kind of both, right. That like God has given us like the ability to reason and God has given us all these medical treatments. And so like, if we have cancer, like we do more than just pray. We, we go get chemo uh, in addition to, 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 to praying Um, because we believe that God has provided us chemotherapy and and all those things. And um, so it's heartbreaking to read the anecdotes of those who are dying now, Kirk, it is like, again, we don't want to be swayed simply by anecdotal evidence as if that, that, that makes up the whole of things. But when we see both right now, it is heartbreaking that people have been talked out of um, a life-saving treatment. So can, can, I, can I pivot from here to say that like, 
unfortunately, churches have talked people out of vaccines to talk about just like vaccines. Like, can we talk a little bit about mRNA um, vaccines? Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Because this is, I, I think that is, so it's interesting. That's the primary source of anxiety for a lot mm-hmm. of Christians is that mm-hmm. the mRNA vaccine is somehow tampering almost mm-hmm. with like your, the mm-hmm. image of God. It's like, I heard one person say it's um, like slicing up your DNA. Mm. Um, you're not even a human anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and, and then on the other hand, uh, 30 seconds later, the same person will say, um, oh, and the Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccine will give you blood clots. So don't take those either. When yeah. those are used the Conventional, same. Conventional, yeah. They, yeah, it's like your flu vaccine, except for yeah. tailored for this specific coronavirus. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so um, mRNA technology is an exciting new development that has many applications. It's something that has been uh, worked on. The reason that we were able to develop this vac- these vaccines so quickly is because th- scientists have been working in general on mRNA technology for years. Uh, and um, this is a particular application uh, that is that is great. And um, as far as the safety of it is, if there were large safety concerns, we would have seen those um, probably right away. You know, we don't need to wait decades to see um, uh, the impact. Like if there were issues, it probably probably would have shown up. In- and I'm going to say something about that later. Go, go okay. ahead, continue. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's concern about, you know, uh, there's fear, uh, a great deal of fear. And Christians shouldn't be people who live in fear. Um, there, there, there are great fears about the safety. Um, but but to, to just focus on like what exactly mRNA, we're not going to do a science segment, but um, they're an exciting new technology because um, they, uh, Messenger RNA or mRNA uh, is is this genetic material that tells our body how to make proteins, and uh, so these uh, the uh, coronaviruses, which is a, a whole type of virus, um, of which COVID nineteen is one of them. Uh, they have these spike proteins, and uh, these spike proteins are are like really really ideal targets for mRNA vaccines because you can inject the body with. Um, uh, essentially the spike protein. So not the virus. So the DNA of the virus is not like no part of the virus is coming in just the spike proteins. So the body is able to learn how to fight the virus without actually encountering the virus. And because the, um, MRNA, so it sounds kind of like DNA, which is kind of scary. People think that their DNA is being affected because that MRNA does not even enter the nucleus of the cell. Our DNA remains intact and unchanged. Um, so it like the body's DNA is not uh, affected. And so essentially what the body is able to do is the, the, the body is able to create these antibodies, um, which is why um, oftentimes uh, there is an immune response to uh, the vaccine. Like your body gets a fever or, or kind of tired or, or um, Kirk, what was, uh, what, were the, what was the thing we joked about? Like the COVID arm. Not COVID arm, the, the oh. brain thing, kind of like fuzzy oh, brain thinking, fog. Brain, brain fog. fog, brain <laughs> fog. Um, so our body like, is able to create antibodies without even with only by encountering the spike proteins, not by encountering the actual virus. And so what we found is that although the Delta variant um, is able to have breakthrough infections, it is essentially not deadly. So will these will these uh, Frankenstein's monsters uh, um, synthetic? spike proteins that now you have in your body, will they prevent you from giving blood, Christopher? No. 
will do they render you sterile? No, do no, they, that is a big and they, pernicious bit yes. of fake news. Do they yeah. do they render women infertile? Fake news. This is out there, and yet there have yeah. been thousands of women yeah. who have who have um, yeah. who are currently carrying children yeah. after having been um, uh, vaccinated this spring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's out there, um, mm-hmm. and and it's it's firmly believed in. Yeah, there there was actually a, a finally a peer reviewed study that came out that said. Um, I think it said it's fine if you want to, if you're trying to have a child, um, don't hold off on the mRNA vaccines, right? Because there's zero evidence that it, it affects your fertility, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, to backtrack to kind of your, your point about um, these, these apocalyptic predictions of deaths that are coming or massive infertility or the inability to donate blood, um, uh, we're told to test the spirits and um, mm. some of us have forgotten mm. to test the spirits. Um, there's a truism, Christopher, a thing that I've started saying, it frustrates me. Being a catastrophist means never, never having to say you're sorry. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of, with mild frustration, I gently said this to people last fall when we went back to school and there was enormous anxiety um, among some of my colleagues when we went back to school and, and, I, and I said, um, remember this conversation. Will you remember this in the spring when no, none of our children have died? None of our children were hospitalized. Um, and, and yet um, you were very anxious and, and looked at the children as virus factories. And, um, and there, were, there were two teachers in particular uh, at the end of the year, they're like, yeah, yeah, you were kind of right. But most catastrophists never say they're sorry. Right. All the people that shut down the schools and were causing enormous anxiety um, uh, around the schools and the virus last fall and last winter, none of them apologized. Why? Because being a catastrophist never means never saying you're sorry. And likewise, all these people that are that are apocalyptic around the vaccines, sadly, I don't think will apologize um, next summer when there aren't mass deaths. There isn't mass sterilization. There aren't. Uh, uh, there isn't a massive um, dearth of blood at blood clinics because none of the, none of the mRNA vaccine recipients can give blood, and when that doesn't come to fruition. Um, and uh, I just want to say, uh, <laughs> maybe don't be a catastrophist, <laughs> because uh, I mean we we like to laugh at a lot of the the people that predict the end of the world. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, who was the guy from Cleveland, Christopher, that, that, that three times in the last 20 years predicted the end of the world. Then he kept adjusting his dates. He never I apologized, know. right? Yeah. Right. All these people that says Jesus is coming back. And then he didn't. <laughs> um, they didn't say, man, I am sorry. I need to reevaluate the way I read my Bible and the way I think about um, uh, the apocalypse. So I don't know, uh, fellow believers, um, do not be a catastrophist. You know when you can be a catastrophist? Advent. <laughs> when it's Advent. When we can look to the horizon and we can it's say, like, Lord, Lord, is Jesus. it going to be today? That's right. Let us be apocalyptic in Advent. Mm. And that's when good Christians should be apocalyptic. Right, Christopher? Come, Lord so Jesus, come. But otherwise, yes. Otherwise, I would say test the spirits and mm. uh, maybe cast a gimlet eye, a skeptical eye at people who are predicting um, Revelation style, Daniel style death counts, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think Christopher, you and I, uh, we, in, we, 
we chuckled. There, there have been various climate predictions in our lifetime that have been amusing, right? Al Gore went, I was it 2013 in 1990s. He, he wrote a book and he said something about yeah. 2013 and then he's yeah. adjusted various things. And at some and, point and, he might be I mean, right, right. But sure, he was, he sure. Right but so like, far, and he never apologized. I, right? I mean, they, they have a messaging issue because they say it may already be too late. And it's like, well, okay. I, but, but that's, that's the problem with the boy who cries wolf, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah. If you don't mean it the first four times and then you mean it the fifth time, you, you lose the ability to convince. And, yeah. Listener, thank you for, for listening along with us. <laughs> I hope this wasn't too rambling and incoherent as we somehow got into climate science. But Kirk, could you tie a bow on this? And, yes. and uh, yeah, um, we are going back to school and uh, and I was at an orientation today and um, I could kind of feel um, the, the polarizing tension in the air. Um, parents who were wearing masks, parents who weren't. Um, and I, I prayerfully, I said, it, I, I prayerfully entered that building beforehand, wanting to judge neither. Um, I have a daughter who's entering kindergarten. I just read a peer-reviewed study on, um, on, on um, early readers and, um, and, and masks. Mm. And, uh, and I, I, have, I, I feel anxious um, uh, about um, her teacher wearing a mask, potentially. I don't know if her teacher will, about her having to wear a mask and learning to read. Um, and uh, I, I, I myself personally am going to pray and lay before the Lord my anxieties around that um, because it is, um, it is in the Lord's hands. Mm. And, um, and uh, so I would, I would pray that all of us lay, lay aside our anxieties, um, lay aside the politicization and notice when you're feeling a politicized um, uh, like a polarizing tug on your soul, on your opinions, lay aside the anxiety, um, lay aside uh, potentially nuttiness, um, sharing unverified uh, videos, unverified data. There, we live in a real country with real institutions and reliable institutions. Um, uh, if peer-reviewed studies produce data, that is reliable data. It is not fake. Um, if news networks that aren't real produce something, if it's from a news network that, that's called OAN, it's not real, right? There are, um, there are, there are, there, there are ways of testing those spirits. Um, if it's intentionally anxiety producing, um, let it go. Don't share it. <laughs> Don't listen to it. Um, I guess those are kind of my final thoughts, and I don't know if that helpfully tied a bow on it. Um, how's that, Christopher? I like it. All right. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God and Father of all, whom the whole heavens adore, let the whole earth also worship you, all nations obey you, all tongues confess you and bless you, and men, women, and children everywhere love you and serve you in peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.
Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. <laughs>